Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bakarvanu mikol hamim, venatan lanu et torato, Baruch atah Adonai, noten haTorah. Amen. Shalom and uh, early um, Pesach, Hag Sameach Pesach, Tov to everyone. Um, yes, all of the goodness. So, uh, I know we're not quite there yet, but you know, since it was officially Shabbat Hagadol, like not less than 24 hours ago from this podcast anyway, uh, we are pretty much in Pesach. So, uh, yeah, we haven't like officially lit candles and stopped eating hummets yet, but we're cleaning it out, uh, which part of that means eating it. But, you know, anyway. Reason I am so excited to go ahead and start saying Haksamak uh, Pesach is because, you know, the minute you head towards something and immerse yourself in it, you're pretty much in it. Which is kind of one of the cool things about Judaism is the fact that you begin to walk in Torah, you're called as a person who is walking in Torah. You know, so obviously we still have to convert. We still have to do classes and we still have to learn. We still have to study. We have to grow. If we're a guy who's not circumcised, we have to get circumcised. If we are a guy who is circumcised but haven't undergone circumcision for conversion, uh, then we have to do Hatifat Dambri, uh, which is uh, drawing blood. And uh, it's basically you have to. You have to give blood to go, come into the covenant, basically. And uh, it's not giving blood like, uh, you know, donating blood, like a blood transfusion type thing or something of the like. But uh, yeah, so just know, Hatifat Dambrit, just check it out. You can actually Rabbi Google Hatifat Dambrit. Uh, and we don't normally recommend Rabbi Google, but uh, because of the nature of that, uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway, and Really, officially, Sar Shalom, we have a uh, a literal PDF file that we can totally give you uh, for those guys who are ready to enter into the conversion process with the supervision of the Beit Dean uh, for all of the necessary steps that need to be taken before we just hop right in and start doing stuff. So, obviously, there's a process, which is... Again, back to entering into Pesach, we're going through a process of opening up all of our pantries, opening up the refrigerator, opening up the oven, opening up all sorts of stuff and checking it out and being like, is this Pesach kosher? You know, kosher for Pesach? No, it's not kosher for Pesach. Out of there. You know, 86, you know, just gone. Um, And then, you know, once we clean it out, you know, there's the uh, the wiping down of everything, the kosh- the koshering, um, boiling of water and um, firing up stuff, you know, torching things. I don't get to have a torch, but if I did, boy, I'll tell you what. But anyway, um, so again, there's all process, but we're immersed into the spirit of Pesach. So especially with the fact of knowing Shabbat HaGadol is all about choosing and designating your lamb that you will be getting personally acquainted with, i.e. like your personal savior or something. And then, um, you know, be prepared to offer that as a sacrifice on the 14th of Nisan 
uh, before it is completely sundown. So yes, at twilight that day, around Minka time, around the same time that Mashiach was actually on the stake. And it's important to know that while Mashiach, Yeshua, was on the stake during the 14th of Nisan, that there were also lambs being slaughtered in the Beit HaMikdash everywhere. Okay, it wasn't just on the, the Mizbeach that all the sacrifices are normally brought on. They were all in the courtyard because it wasn't just the Kohanim and the Leviim partaking of the actual slaughter. Because, you know, the Kohen does the slaughter and the Leviim helps out and assists. But with the Pesach, everybody... All the heads of the households is getting a kosher slaughter on. So uh, that's a really beautiful picture when you think about it, because, you know, Mashiach is literally slain by all of us because all of us had a hand in the reason why why he had to come and offer himself anyway, because, you know, Hashem like is so omnipotent and stuff that he knew when he created mankind that we were kind of going to need redemption, atonement, forgiveness, uh, you know, renewal. And uh, yeah, so Mashiach was like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll take that suffering. You know, we read from the Messiah text and previous podcasts about this. And um, Hasis Baz uh, has also brought this down from Pasikta Rabatai uh, and all sorts of get you some. So obviously. That's all sourced out. But as we head into Pesach, actually, and literally pull our chairs up to the table and prepare to recline and lean to the side, you know, and serve one another, you know, like treat each other like kings and queens. We do not pour our own drinks uh, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we'll definitely be serving each other. And partaking of all of the elements of the Seder uh, and going through the Magid, the retelling of the Exodus. So before I continue, I just really want to make the statement and the declaration that we truly see ourselves as coming out of Egypt. I know that's been like the really the mantra uh, for Pesach, like every single time with the Abba Hashem that we get to partake in Seder. But literally, you know, the final redemption is way closer, like every single day than it has ever been before. And who are we to think that we could be a generation to bring the final redemption in a meritorious way? None other than the fact Hashem takes stock of our words. He takes stock of our thoughts and he takes stock of our deeds. And so tell me why Sanhedrin 98a going to be all like, well, if the children of Israel merit it, Mashiach will come on the clouds of glory. But if they don't, then he will come lowly and riding up on a donkey. So there's one or two ways we can do this is basically what's being thrown down. So... When we talk about merit, how do we merit something? You know, how do you merit to receive a gift? How do you merit to receive a paycheck? You know, what do you do? You know, for those things, you work for it. You think about it. You do things that 
will cause the consequence and a good way of merit to be manifest. Okay. If you work really hard for your employer and show up on time, clock in, clock out on time, follow standard operational procedure, you know, your boss will totally give you a paycheck. You know, obviously it will come through payroll and all that kind of stuff. And they put it in your account and you get a paper check or whatever, how you do it. But that won't happen if you don't show up to work. And it's just like, well, you're going to get something, but you ain't going to get a paycheck. You know what I'm saying? So looking at the way Mashiach can come is the same way. He can come or we can ask Hashem to send him. You know, so there's a big difference. And um, it's so beautiful that the word for he shall come, like Yavo, is the same word as Yavo, which is return. So some of us who believe in Mashiach, Yeshua, like the Messiah ben Yosef, Messiah ben David, who came around the first century, which, by the way, according to the Haggadah that my a uh, household will be, get to partake of with the help of Hashem. The timeline says that around 0 uh, AD or CE, whatever you want to call it, that that was the height of Jewish population in the world at a mind-blowing 2% of the world's population. So you mean to tell me that Mashiach Yeshua came, was sent by Hashem into the world at the height of Jewish population in history. So yeah, so some about that I think is just insane because it's just kind of like there was uh there's a lot of people in the room and then it's like, well, here's Mashiach. I'm going to put him in the midst of the biggest opportunity for everybody to be like, "Oh, yes." Which means Hashem was so totally ready to bring the redemption. He's like my people are at their highest point, kind of like in Egypt. Uh, there was like, how many Jews, you know? And it was just kind of like, and how many did not leave Egypt? And so Mashiach Yeshua is here, you know, during his lifetime. And on in the world, his lifetime is still continuing. So that's kind of an interesting statement to say. But while he was here in the world, you know, um, it was kind of like, okay, so let's do the opposite of what we did in Egypt. Ready? No. Okay, well, Brukashem, I got my 12, and, you know, there's crowds of people who are following me. Some have left because I said you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, and they thought that was weird, even though there's Talmudic references about that, but, you know. Uh, and then he gets put on the stake, and everybody's like, yeah, I thought he was Mashiach, but he kind of died. And then it's like, well, you know... I told you I was going to be, I was going to be like handed over and killed, but that's okay. Cause no less than three days, I'm going to be back and everything is good, you know? So just, just have Shalom, not as the world gives, but as I give you. So Mashiach has let us know the whole layout of everything. He's given us the groundwork that, Hey, <laughs> I am not the normal manner of man that you suppose that I may be. Though I will die, I will live. Though, you know, uh, you may think that um, I am not the one you were expecting. I am. 
So, I mean, it's just kind of really interesting when you start putting all these pieces together. So, um, when we partake of Seder meal this week with the help of Hashem going into Pesach officially, I really pray that we yearn and cry out for Hashem to bring the final redemption and eat like it, partake of the Seder like it, pray like it, and live like it. So with that being said, let the sources fly. The first thing I want to attack, I don't want to, yeah, I'm attacking it. Yeah, I was going to say I'm not going to attack it, but I am. First thing is, there is apparently, to my knowledge anyway, a teaching series that's about to occur this week and it is called Yeshua is not the Pesach lamb now before everything else gets all crazy because that's a, a hot statement that's just like ridiculous and it's just like surely this is clickbait the problem with clickbait is you don't clickbait about Mashiach not being something that he totally is i.e. tell Mashiach that, you know, what you did for me is not valid. And I'm going to do that at the expense of causing someone to watch my video or watch my series. First of all, that's like throwing Yeshua under the bus, undoing many copious amounts of, uh, of uh, sources and uh, centuries of Chazal commentary. You're just, you just undid it all for the sake of wanting to get uh, attention. I don't know if that was the the intent, but if it's this quote unquote clickbait, then that is bad, like real bad, like Michael Jackson bad. OK, anyway. So. Let's start with the fact that. If Mashiach is not the Pesach lamb, now you have to say what in the world was his death? like a lamb on the 14th of Nisan 4, because Sanhedrin 43 totally breaks it down. Uh, let me see. I, I took a picture of it just to be specific. It's uh, Sanhedrin 43A. You ready? Was, uh, so let me go back here. Okay. It was taught on the eve of Passover Yeshua, or this commentary says Yeshu, but we don't say that because Yeshu is an acronym for may his name be erased. And it's also the reason why the word J-E-S-U-S, -S, the word Jesus is perpetrated in the world because it's an improper spelling and you take away one letter and you get this word or that English word or some kind of word because I don't know if it's really English because it's like five steps removed from the actual original word Yeshua. But anyway, I digress. On the uh, the eve of Passover, Yeshua was hanged. Okay, obviously that could sound like hang like a witch type thing, but you can also say uh, hung on a tree because, you know, that's kind of the definition that's used, you know, for hanging someone on a tree. You hang them. But anyway, I continually digress. For 40 days before the execution took place, a herald went forth and cried, He is going forth to be stoned because he practiced sorcery and enticed Israel to apostasy. Going down a little further, uh, he was hanged on the eve of Pesach. And going down a little further, it says, 
Yeshua, however, it was different for he was connected with the government or royalty or he was influential. Because the previous statement, I should just let me just rewind. OK, keep that in mind, but I'm going to go back. Uller retorted, do you suppose that he was the one for whom a defer a defense could be made? Was he not a Masit, an enticer concerning whom scripture says, neither spare, neither shall you spare, neither shall you conceal him. And then it says with Yeshua, however, it was different for he was connected to the government or royalty or he was influential. Bringing that all together, Mashiach was slain on the 14th of Nisan, i.e. he was crucified. He was considered connected to royalty and the government like a king or something. And then he was also considered to be very influential. And then he was also rumored to be an enticer and one who leads Israel to apostasy. Now, I don't know about you, but when you really think about what was all of those trials, what were all those trials that Yeshua had to undergo, none other than trying to find things to throw at him to make him guilty. And it didn't work because they couldn't find anything wrong with him. You know, it said they could find no fault with him, i.e. he was spotless and without blemish. And second of all, the crucify him, crucify him only came up because of the angry mob mentality. You know, everybody gets all excited. And now you got this governor who's just kind of like, whatever. I don't really care anyway, because we need to know that Pontius Pilate was literally like he's a uh, like. Let me see the way I can put this. Like he was a, I don't really kind of care what you think, what I say is going to go. And if you don't like it, then you would go kind of thing. Like he wasn't a pushover, basically. So he could care less on the situation and crucify him, crucify him. Well, I don't have to listen to you. I could listen to you either way. It doesn't really matter. So he's just kind of like whatever. And that's how <laughs> that whole thing kind of goes down. But anyway. My point is, this all lines up here, and then you got the fact that Yeshua is called the Lamb of God, literally by Yochanan himself, and you got the fact that the commentary that the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. So, yeah, so if the Lamb is slain before the foundation, and then you got the fact that when did the first Akedah take place? Oh, yeah, on the 14th of Nisan. So, yeah. So, and again, who was offered on that at that Akedah? Yitzhak, yeah, but who was offered in his place, but it still counted as Yitzhak? Oh, yeah, the lamb that was from before the ram, who was from before the foundation of the earth. Yeah, okay. So, the fact that Yeshua is offered on the 14th of Nisan, like an Akedah, because he willingly laid himself down, just like Yitzhak willingly laid himself down, and Yeshua HaMashiach was literally offered in our place, and because he was offered in our place, it counts as we were offered as well, which goes back to Shabbat Hagadol, because remember from my previous podcast and how I was connecting that the, the Shabbat Hagadol, when it first occurred, was on a 10th of Nisan. Now, since then, it, 
it hasn't occurred on the 10th of Nisan, but the Shabbat prior to Pesach is called Shabbat Hagadol to commemorate that event. Now, the whole thing about the 10th of Nisan is it literally is in direct parallel to the month of Tishrei and specifically on the 10th of Tishrei, which is called Yom Kippur, which is also considered to be the day that Avraham offered himself as a living sacrifice through circumcising himself, like willingly sacrificing yourself is the common denominator, which is called Meserus Nefesh, which is self-sacrifice. And when you do that, you're a sacrifice before Hashem. And so here we are sacrificing ourselves on Shabbat Hagadol because we selected our lamb that was going to be slain in our place which all of the Corbinot that we offered at the Mishkan or the Mikdash, either way, when we offered an offering, it was offered in our place and it counted as us, which is why we transferred all of our sins and our thoughts onto something that was spotless, sinless, and without blemish. Okay? Hopefully I've made the case. If I haven't, then, you know, um, Rukashim. See the way. Truth is truth and... You know, we have to start dealing with it. And if we find things that lead us off of a path of understanding, then, you know, it's on us because we have to search out everything diligent. We can't just take stuff and just eat it. You know, this is why Hashem says you should eat kosher. You should make distinctions before you eat something. Does it have a hexure before you eat something? Is it something that's suitable, something deemed for you to be eating? This is why it would be so cool if we could replay the garden scene and have the mentality of, excuse me, Mr. Nakash, I have to check if this fruit is kosher. Now, you would say, well, fruit obviously is kosher. But when it comes to the fruit that was on this tree, this was a specific fruit. It was kosher for Shabbat, but it wasn't kosher for not Shabbat, which is kind of like a whole step of, there's a reason why Hashem said, don't eat from this tree, you know, which, by the way, the sages bring down on the commentary that that meant eat from the tree of life, which I don't know why anybody wasn't focusing on that tree, because the tree of life literally is the sapphire tablet essence of the Torah before it existed in this world as the Torah given from Mount Sinai. Because uh, Shonuf Pincus brought this down literally on that week, Parsha Shemini. And he was talking about the Torah being called the tree of life is the Torah in its original form and its original order. Because the Torah that we have right now is out of order as far as, um, you know, certain parts of the Torah are have been rearranged literally chronologically. So that's why you can't study the Torah in a chronological history book type manner. And you'll be so confused because, again, like I said, things that are taking place in Shemot are also happening in Bamibar, but then have a few things that happen in Vayikra. And then you got all sorts of just pieces of Torah portions that go together. And so it's just kind of like, OK, which one goes where and all that. So anyway, he brought that all up. And, and then on top of that, the tree of life is because the Torah in its original proper order would cause one to be able to do things such as resurrect the dead or make a whole new creation. 
Hence, we are called new creations in Mashiach Yeshua, who is the primordial form of the Torah made in the likeness of man. Much who is the life and the resurrection because he's the tree of life and we should partake of him. And he, yeah, all sorts of stuff. So anyway, all of that. And then you got the fact that um, you shouldn't be eating anything that Hashem says don't eat anyway. Because that would insinuate that what you desire to eat is greater and worth and uh, substantialness than Hashem. I, I love this so much, Hashem, that I'm willing to push you to the side and partake of this. And then we'll talk later. And that's just kind of like, wow, putting God on the back burner, man. Okay. So anyway, we all do that. So happy homage cleaning, even to my own self on this parsha. Wow. On this podcast. Okay. So that was conviction, conviction. So I hopped off the platform talking about this teaching that's out about Mashiach's not the Pesach lamb. So here we go. I'm just going to line this out for us real quick and then we'll get back to doing what we do. So I'm using Bible Hub and all I did was typed in Passover lamb. Lo and behold, and, uh, you know, my Kala, the, the wasp, uh, Hazira, she uh she was so funny because she brought out she's like oh so this one time we respond to something by saying but paul said really that what we do and it was it was just really funny it wasn't like a whole bashing thing but it was just kind of like yeah i know right we're always fighting against what paul said but now we're gonna be like nah we need some but paul said right now but anyway literally so but paul said according if so let's go back let's let's set this up like a beautiful picture here so a teaching that exists saying Yeshua is not the Pesach clam. But Paul said in the Agarit to the Corinthians, um, Aleph, okay, the first one, even though we know this is not the first one. Okay, stop digressing. Okay, here we go. It says in chapter 5, verse 7, the Agarit to the Corinthians, the first letter, chapter 5, verse 7, get rid of the old comments. That you may be a new uncomets, a new comets free matzah, okay, a batch or dough, as you really are. Okay, so, okay, so first of all, just by saying that, we're saying we're a new creation through Pesach, because when you get rid of comets, that's called old comets, okay? So you're getting rid of your old and you're bringing in the new, which when you get rid of your comets, guess what? You bring in matzah, lots of matzah. And that's called your new batch, your new creation. And it's unleavened. So we partake of that and you are what you eat. Okay, but anyway, it's continuing. This is all in verse seven, which is so beautiful. And he says now, for Mashiach, comma, our Pesach lamb has been sacrificed. Okay. So there you go. Now, let's jump over to what Kepha said because more important than what Paul said is is what Kepha says. Cuz remember Yeshua says, I'm going to build up my community on this rock right here called Kepha. Cuz you know, Kepha was just a little bit uh zealous for Yeshua. 
Hamashiach. But anyway, uh, his Egeret, his first Egeret, chapter 1, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Mashiach, a lamb without blemish or spot. Okay, and now I want to connect that to Shanae Lukot Habrit, Parsha Bo, Torah or 16. There is another dimension to the inability of Israel to be redeemed, except by the combination of the blood of circumcision and the blood of the Pesach lamb. So I'm sorry, Kepha was saying that uh, the precious blood of Mashiach is without blemish, or the precious blood of Mashiach is a lamb without spot, without blemish. And um, let's just read this section real quick, because this is just legit. It says, uh, since you, so going back to verse 17, since you call on a father who judges each one's work impartially, Conduct yourselves in reverent fear during your stay as Gertoshavim in this world. Okay, we're Gertoshavim in this world. We're kind of like in it, but not of it kind of thing. Because a Gertoshav is not in covenant. And by the way, a Gertoshav does not exist. Just go back to every single drosh that Rabbi Griffin has given. That's my source. Yes, Rabbi Griffin, Captain Yisrael. That's my source. Okay, but anyway. Verse 18, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life you inherited from your forefathers. He, by the way, your forefathers, he's talking to the scattered tribes, the scattered group of believing people of Israel, which included converts who basically is they we didn't have forefathers who were ours so now on another level you got people who now have become adopted through the covenant oh because you know we're adopted as sons through the ruach HaKodesh. so that's that that's another thing that uh but paul said uh this one time when he wrote to the rome uh believers but anyway when we come into covenant our forefathers become abraham yitak and yaakov and now he's saying that there's an empty way of life that we inherited from our forefathers. I.e., not that anything meritorial did not come from them, but where did their merit come from? And what is the source of the merit that we receive from them is what he's talking about. And that's why there's a big old but right here. With the precious blood of Mashiach, a lamb without blemish or spot. And again, Midrash Tankuma does a beautiful thing because it talks about Mashiach will be greater than the patriarchs and greater than Moshe. So, you know, not saying that none of those people are empty and void of redemption qualities or merit. But just know they have to have a source just like we have to have a source. And that source is the blood of Mashiach Yeshua, the lamb who's without spot or blemish, which again, Shabbat Agadol, when you pick your lamb that you're going to offer Pesach, it has to be without blemish or spot. And the blood specifically from that sacrifice, that Corbin is going to 
bring redemption to free you from exile, to take you out of slavery, which is also called death, which is also called curse, which is the opposite of life, which is the opposite of obedience, which is the opposite of Torah. So what is the Pesach lamb? Ultimately, it is a offering of redemption and literally something that frees us from slavery and bondage. To which I jump over now to Galatians, the Garrett to Galatia, chapter five, verse one. What the Mashiach has freed us for is freedom, which now I jump over to Pirkei Avot 6.2. The tablets are the handiwork of God. The script was God's script, Harut, engraved on the tablets. Do not read Harut, but Cherut, which is freedom. For you can have no freer person than one who engages in Torah study. Okay, and again, why did Hashem free us from Mitzrayim anyway? Why did he free us from Egypt? Why did he free us from any of our exiles? None other than to worship him and to receive Torah. Because Moshe said to Paro, free the people so that they can go out and worship Hashem. What did Hashem say to Moshe at the burning bush? I need you to go to Egypt, free my people, bring them back here to this mountain so they may worship me. What mountain was he on? Mount Sinai. So the burning bush is Mount Sinai. And then he was at a little bush before he went to Egypt. And then when they came back to the mountain, the whole mountain was a burning bush. So it was a big bush. So redemption started little and then it ultimately ended big. And redemption started with just the Redeemer in his household. And then it became big to all those who want it, which is why Pesach is so legit, because Neryarok was bringing down from his Haggadah, which is also in another Haggadah that I have been studying that talks about you can't have your Pesach meal until you invite uh, those who are hungry, those who are uh, less fortunate to receive food. You have to make that uh, that opening, if you will. You have to give that opportunity. So your Pesach is incomplete if you haven't really sought to invite people. And maybe you haven't been able to invite people, or maybe you don't have space to invite people. But the fact that it's in your heart and you really try to seek that out on some level is definitely meritorious legit okay but anyway so if mashiach is going to set us free he's setting us free so that we can engage in torah okay because the torah is freedom there is no other freedom than torah just like over here in america you know the way that you remain free is to follow the law so why should we expect it to be any different when it comes to hashem the way you, you're going to be free, literally, eternally in creation and beyond creation, because when the new heavens and new earth happens, it's going to be a little bit different from the way life is now, because we kind of like won't be dying and getting sick and stuff. So that's like one of the small things. But anyway, freedom. So if you follow what God says and uh, chances are things will go well with you. Oh, wait, he totally said that. He said, if you follow my Torah and do everything that I command you, things will go well with you. Follow my law so that it may go well with you. So anyway, um, yeah. So freedom. Now I'm going to go ahead and switch over to Rabbi Winston. Pincus Winston, that is. And he is doing a chapter on freedom. Now on page 67, uh, 
Well, no, I'm going to go to 68. Page 68. Because it says this. Who is the free person? The truly free person. The person for whom the task matters most or the one who worries about failing it. Who is the truly free person? The per the person for whom the task matters most or the one who worries about failing? You're just deep over here, Pinkus. What's the deal, homeboy? Okay. The person who is just happy to have the opportunity to do something meaningful or the person who fears what it might cost him? The person who is only concerned about doing the best he can at what needs to be done or who lets petty concerns limit his effort. A person has to ask himself, how would a truly free person approach this task? Man. Okay. So now let's just go ahead and just keep reading this. I'm just going to read this paragraph. Can I just read? Can I just read something for you? Okay. He has to make freedom. Literally, remember the engraving on the tablets, the Torah. Okay, he has to make that. He has to make Torah, the law of God, the most important value to the point that it crushes all negativity and renders it ineffective. Many things and events in life potentially negative or have potentially negative outcomes until the opportunity for personal freedom they create is appreciated. See, this is getting real deep right now because he's saying that the negative outcomes that we perceive or that we say what if about, that's only until the opportunity for personal freedom that's created by said outcome is appreciated. When we can start appreciating things that just bother us to no end and really take it to a point of kicking this negativity to the curb and then stumping it. Like now we're going to experience freedom. Okay. So this is a freedom opportunity. It's not a, a Debbie Downer, Charlie Brown cloud over your head opportunity. Okay. So negativity gets crushed. This is all freedom right here. Okay. Then it says there is one thing worse, a lot worse than a free person who does not reach his goal. It is a person who enslaved to fears and concerns could not make his best effort to even try to succeed. That is the only real failure because the one element he could control or because it is the one element he could control. The only element we can control is to put forth our best effort and try to succeed and to kick out fear and to kick out concern and turn negativity into positivity and our perspective and in our ability to really be grateful for this experience. Okay. Brakot, better coats, 33B and Masekit uh, of a, a Masekit of the Talmud Babli. Okay. Brakot, 33B. The rest is in the hands of heaven. Okay, the only thing we can control is trying and what we do with everything that happens to us. The rest is in the hands of heaven. Okay, so everything's determined for us how much we're going to make, what we're going to look like, how cute we're going to be, 
or how, man, your mom really loves you, you're going to be. Or uh, if you're going to be fat, if you're going to be tall, if you're going to be short, if you're going to be black, if you're going to be blue, if you're going to be purple, if you're going to be white, if you're going to be yellow. Did I miss anybody? Of course I did, because there are a lot of colors and I won't be able to name them all. We don't have control over that, y'all. We can work out all day and be on a diet plan, but there's only so much our body's going to do because Hashem gave us a limitation. And when it comes to our limitations, we got to accept them. We got to embrace them. We got to crush it and treat it like old hummets and eat some matzah and be like, okay, Hashem, well, this is what you gave me. Let's work with it. Let's do what we can do. And that is freedom, y'all. Okay, because every tribe and every tongue, every nation coming in the Torah, I guarantee you no one is used to being Jewish. Okay, <laughs> I'm just going to say I'm going to put that out there. I grew up in a Southern Baptist home and I ain't used to being Jewish. It's kind of weird. I'm still kind of having my moments. But anyway, just work that out. So to clear up the, any confusion that may have possibly happened from the depth of homeboy rabbi uh winston over here he said who is the truly free person and he gives all this is it this or is it this is it this or is it this so let's go through it the person for whom the task matters most that's a free person another free person is happy to have the opportunity to do something meaningful another free person only concerned about doing the best he can at what needs to be done that's your freedom right there all right, and so the last thing I wanted to drop because it was so monumental it actually is on page 67 of uh, Rabbi Winston here. It says, it's only a play on the word harut, which is the word for engraved on the tablets, but it teaches the most important lesson about life. It teaches that without learning Torah, a person cannot Without learning Torah, a person cannot. Without learning Torah, a person cannot understand what life is about. About, about. I don't know why I had to wrap that. I just think it's important that gets stuck in our head. Without learning Torah, a person cannot really understand what life is about. Uh, uh, yeah, let the record drop. Uh, uh, stop. Just playing. Okay. So anyway, um, a person cannot really understand what life is about without learning Torah and what to want from it. OK, you got to know what life is about and what we should want from it. Freedom, which is hey root, is a path through the word of God inscribed, which is root on the tablets. OK. So there you go. Freedom. That's what Pesach is all about. Freedom. Mashiach is a Pesach lamb because he led us into freedom. Now, I would be so, so bad of a person to podcast to you if I did not refer you back to Rabbi Griffin's Aliyah a day, starting with Parshavayikra. Because you know why that parasha is so important, so importante? Because every single aliyah through parasha Vayikra into parasha Zav, absolutely foundational 
information that if we call ourselves followers of Mashiach, we have better get into our soul. Because he says so many different things from sources. It's not, I mean, listen, y'all. Captain Yisrael is a legit rabbi. He's cool. He all right. He taught me how to fight. I, I'm just, just saying, you know, because Captain America literally taught Iron Man how to fight. And it's like so funny because I'm Shomer Man and he's Captain Israel, And he literally taught me how to fight. Like the only reason I know how to do these podcasts and do all these studies and put together these insights and connect these dots is because he came alongside me in my life and lifted me up. And Hashem ultimately is the one who orchestrated that all. So, yes, it is Hashem's grace that allowed it. But literally the the human hand at this was Rabbi Griffin. So, yes, shameless shouting out and plugging and esteeming my Rebbe. OK, but you got to do that sometimes. You got to you got to let it go. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's, it's cool. I love you, Rabbi. OK, so. But. In these parashot on the Aliyah day for Parsha Vayikra and Parsha Zav, one of the things that comes out that is the most monumental thing about Mashiach Yeshua is that all of the offerings, starting with the elevation offering, the Tamid offering, the whole burnt offering, okay, that offering was only brought forth because it points back to the Akedah. Because there's this whole thing about how the how all the Corbin are introduced. And as it starts, it starts with like the highest offering. It's just like you don't get any holier than the corp the whole burnt offering. Like everything is ascending to Hashemayim on that point. So much so that that's the offering that bookends the day. The lamb that's just put on the altar for the whole entire nation. And that is wholly consumed by the fire. So the whole nation, every single day, morning and afternoon, ascend completely, totally to Hashem through the lamb that was slain for us. So, okay. Then you got the fact that because of the Yakidah, we can now receive the Corbin of the Ola offering, the elevation offering. So the Corbin note that are introduced for us to partake in starting with the the Corbin Ola going into the guilt offering the sin offering the peace offering fellowship offering so on and so forth those all derive their merit from the Akedah of Yitzhak which again Yitzhak wasn't offered but it was considered as if he was because the ram who was slain in his place and completely offered was called Yitzhak okay so now you got the fact that this Akedah happened but this Akedah happened because the, it happened before creation when Hashem was able to have the lamb be slain before creation before the foundation of the world was put into place atonement was already made for the entire world just Think about how legit that is. Oh, my word. Seriously? Anyway, so now you got an Akedah that derives merit from an Akedah, which is all about an Akedah that's going to take place later. So you got this whole picture that the lamb slain before the foundation of the world is actually going to be slain 
in the middle point of where the nation of Israel is at its highest population headed into exile. And that's when the Akira is going to happen. And that right there, that offering happened on the 14th of Nisan. And again, the original Akira of Yitzhak happened on the 14th of Nisan. And the original Akedah to that original Akedah happened outside of time, space, and all that good stuff. So there wasn't any date set for that. So it could be all dates or beyond time saying that it could be no date at all. Because it's either going to be the, the, the fullness of all of creation or it's going to be at a point that creation can't even fathom. Which that'll be coming up, talking about midnight in just a second. Um, because uh, I was, let's see, I was reading it. Mm, see if I can go there. Yes, I'm going to go there real quick. I'm going to swerve myself. Uh, this is coming from the uh, commentary on studies this week. Let's see here. If I can. Pull it up. Stand by. Wasn't prepared to share this. I guess you can probably tell. <laughs> anyway. Um, let's see. Where did I do this? Um, time stood still. Let's see. Um, hang on, we can do this, we can do it, okay, wasn't in that one, midnight, this is the Lubavitch or Rebbe, okay, here we go, thank you Hashem, thank you for your patience everyone. Okay, so commenting on Shemot 11.4 and 12.29. Okay, so it says the time is significant. Twice the Torah emphasizes that the event, the uh, slaying of the firstborn, occurred exactly at midnight. And to this day, midnight is a factor in our annual re-experience of the exodus at the Seder held each year on the eve of the 15th of Nisan, which means you're going out of the 14th and into the 15th of Nisan. Okay. And then it says that midnight is the deadline for eating of the matzah and the bitter herbs and for the eating of the meat of the Pesach offering and for eating the afikomen, which today represents the Pesach offering. So, yes, eating of the flesh of Mashiach totally still happens when we eat the afikomen because Mashiach is the Pesach lamb. But anyway, the Midrash decides the Midrash cites two opinions as to the nature of night's division at the first Pesach. Okay? Because it's called Ka Chatzot Halayla, which is at midnight, or as the night divides. It says that um, the 16th century sage, Rabbi David Ibn Zimra, who's called the Radbaz, explains... The meaning between the words of these two sages. 
Rabbi Yishmael is saying that God who created night, day and time itself, can obviously manipulate them at will. God literally split the night in two, opening an expanse of timelessness between its halves. Okay, so I'm just going to submit to the table. This now approaches where the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. This timelessness place. And would it be any wonder that Mashiach is offered on the day that this commemorates? Okay. I'm going to say that since he's the lamb, he's probably the Pesach lamb. Anyway, I think it's really important just to keep harping on that. So I'm going to play some notes. Okay. Anyway, this is a point of timelessness. And it says in this time vacuum, God smote the Egyptian firstborn and freed the children of Israel. By the way, this is why we wrapped to feeling. This is why we redeemed the firstborn sons because of this point in time right here. And I was reading something about the feeling that we wrapped them at Shakarit because we're sweetening the judgment that happened uh, from this event. And it's like morning time and Chesed is increasing. Chesed is in the air. I don't remember. It was something in Nachman. I don't know if I'll be able to find it, but in case I do, in case I might just find it right now, am I going to find it right now? No, I'm not going to find it right now. I thought I was. No, I am going to find it right now. <laughs> Sorry. I'm having a fight with myself. I'm fighting, y'all. You got to fight against your flesh and blood. Right? Okay. It was the whole thing on the firstborn. So that was in chapter 12. No, chapter 13. Okay, Brukisham. Chapter 13. Sanctified to me, firstborn sons. And then I saw Tefillin. Tefillin, Tefillin, Tefillin. Whoop. Hmm. Okay, it's over here. Uh, so here we go. 13 9. It will be a sign for you on your hand and a reminder between your eyes that God's Torah will be in your mouth for with a strong hand, i.e. this timelessness space, God took you out of Mitzrayim. Okay, Shemot 13.9. All right, so now this is uh, Rebbe Nachman commenting. Tefillin, the sign on your hand and the reminder between your eyes must be made from the hide of permitted animals, from the good of Targum which is Noga, in order to elevate it into holiness. A forbidden item cannot be elevated. Lakute Halakot. And then it says, The hides used in the construction of tefillin can be made only from the carcass of a permitted animal, i.e. an ox, a sheep. Okay, so side note, a sheep, a ram, a lamb... Uh, can also be used for the very thing we bind around our arm as a sign. So Mashiach was bound and we're binding the bound one around us, binding ourselves with the bound one, crucifying ourselves with Mashiach. Okay. As long as a person sets aside his own mind and follows the Zadikim, even if he is considered as a carcass, 
distant from God, he can still draw close to him. A reminder between your eyes. The entire Torah is compared to tefillin, Kiddushin 35a. Tefillin is like petila, woven fibers, indicating a bond between God and the Jews. By the way, petil tekelet, you shall put in the tekelet and your tzitzit. Now tefillin and tzitzit have a similarity in this word petila, woven. Because you know your tzitzit are kind of like woven. So you're looking at the tzitzit, which remind you, which they are a sign to remind you of the word of God, just like the feeling is a reminder between your eyes about being woven to God. So it's two two weavings, like two Mashiachs. Anyway, tefillin, patila. And it says, indicating a bond between God and the Jews, both Torah and tefillin help bind us to God. Okay, so in Mashiach, we are made one with Hashem, much. Anyway, uh, being bound with Hashem, that's why Mashiach, we have to be one with him so that we can be one with Hashem. I distinctly remember Yeshua praying about that in the garden. I mean, it's it's such a legit thing. Okay, so anyway, Torah binds us to God, Tefillin binds us to God. Okay, anything else? Okay, uh, this provides a rectification for the eyes, for one sees the goal and averts his gaze from the allures of this world. See, that's the thing. We start getting crazy with our eyes and that leads us off track. So, uh, yeah, let me see. Let me see if I can do this. I won't find that point. Your hand uh, should be assigned upon your hand. Your hand refers to the weaker hand, i.e. the left hand for a right-handed person and the right hand for a left-handed person. Surprise! If you've been tying to feeling and you're left-handed, guess what? You tie your feeling around your right arm and feel like a weirdo sometimes. Ask me how I know. Just ask me. Thank you for asking because I do that. And it's kind of weird. And I also carry the Torah on that side too. Because, like, you carry the Torah on the side that is, like, your dominant side. So, like, when when you get the Torah, normally they put it on your right shoulder. But, like, since you're, like, left-handed and stuff, you put it on your left shoulder. So, like, the Torah is, like, strength, you know, and everything. All right. So, anyway, uh, Tefillin, bind the weak of faith and bring patience, mitigating divine anger and harsh decrees. So I loved that. However, where did I see that point about Tefillin and Shakari? Mm. Is it in here? It's got to be in here. Oh, here it is. Thank you, Hashem. Sanctify to me the firstborn. 13-2. Uh, Rebbe Nachman. <clears throat> he says, after the Egyptian firstborn were killed, the Jewish firstborn were sanctified to serve God. Firstborn represents wisdom, as in, the first is wisdom, which is Tehillim 111, verse 10. Tefillin 2 represent wisdom. So now, ah. Uh, the feeling binds us to Hashem. The Torah binds us to Hashem. The tefillin is now called the firstborn. 
Yisrael is called Hashem's firstborn. Mashiach is called Hashem's firstborn because Mashiach is the word of God made flesh. And then the word of God is considered to be Rashit, which is the firstborn. Okay. Just read Parsha Bereshit and the Midrash Rabbah and you'll find that all out. That's a get you some of get you sums. Just don't study in the word Bereshit. Because it doesn't say in the beginning that Hashem created the world. It says with Bereshit, with Rashit, literally Rashit, with the first Hashem created the world. But anyway, continuing to digress. It says, Tefillin to represent wisdom as the scriptural passage about Tefillin in Shemot 13, 1 through 16, first mentions the sanctification of the firstborn. The Ari writes that this wisdom begins to illumine at midnight. You begin to see the illumination at midnight, this place where there is no time, this point in time where the firstborn were slain, of Egypt and the firstborn were redeemed of Israel. Okay? That point in time that's considered to be just absolutely insane is revealed during the morning prayers. So it begins to illuminate at this point, but it's fully revealed during morning prayers, i.e., Shakari, especially through the mitzvah of Tefillin. That's from the pre-Eitz Chaim Sha'ar HaTefillin, chapter 7, pages 81 through 83. Again, Rabbi Nachman commenting on Shemot 13.2. And again, uh, Rabbi Griffin, being my source on this, was talking about the Halakot of Tefillin. One of many is that you don't cover your Tefillin Rosh, your head Tefillin, your headpiece Tefillin. It's supposed to stick out from underneath your talit because you got to shine forth the light from the light because, you know, the talit represents the infinite light. And then you have the ray or the. Uh, so you got the infinite light, which is called Ain Sof. And then you got the light that shines forth into creation, which is or Ain Sof, the light of the Ain Sof, which is the tefillin. This is why you can look at Mashiach being the light of Hashem, because Hashem himself is the light, but the light that comes from Hashem is the light, uh, Mashiach, which is why Mashiach and Hashem are one. They can't be separated because how are you going to separate light from it, from light? Like when you can start doing that, that's crazy. Also think about a person without an arm because Mashiach is called the mighty arm of God, the strong arm of God. So now you got Hashem without an arm, and it's just kind of like, so how's the arm going to move around now as far as walking from place to place? Anyway, I digress continually. I love digressing. It's good. Tastes good with yams. Okay, but anyway, Kabbalistically, the light of the morning is rooted in midnight. Man, y'all, okay, when you have morning light, it's it's rooted in and midnight are you kidding me the 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 light of the morning comes from midnight like the darkest point uh like seriously it's where darkness reaches its apex and starts to now start getting lighter light is like not even getting started yet and then it's just like yeah that's where this light comes from you know kind of when hashem was in egypt smoting the firstborns of egypt 
Okay, so anyway, um, that was just uncalled for. Now it says, so that those who arise for midnight draw the light of the tefillin, intellect, and da'at, which is knowledge. They merit to draw the intellects and fear of God and attach themselves to the Zadakim and Gan Eden. This is also why Yaakov, who represents wisdom, as the Targum translates, Vayakveni, Vayakveni, which is uh, literally the word Yaakov with a Vav in front and a Nun and a Yod at the end, which is literally Vayakveni, which means he outwitted me, as Vechachmani, which is he was wiser than me. Targum Ankalos, Bereshit 2736. This is how the birthright got taken, and this is how Asaph got full on red stuff. And we were like, yeah, you can have food that you know about, and we'll take food that we don't know about, or that you don't know about, apparently. And then it says, uh, he worked to extract the birthright from Asaph, Yaakov did, who represents the firstborn of the other side, the Citra Akra. Asav represents the firstborn of the Citra Akra, really. So this is why, again, Asav and Yaakov are twins. This is why Christianity and Judaism are, are sometimes compared because it's like, oh, they both have the same dad. Of course, they believe in God. They, they both believe in Messiah. I don't know about the Jews if they really just, they need to come believe in the same Messiah that Christianity believes in too. And it's just like, yeah, but check out the stats on Christianity. Uh, we believe in the word of God, but we don't follow it because we don't keep Shabbat. We don't keep Pesach. That just, no, nah, that's just weird. And then um, Yom Kippur, forget it. Did you know Messiah died for me? Resurrection Sunday, all the way. Okay, but anyway, that, that I digress. And it says, thus the voice is the voice of Yaakov, Bereshit 27, 22. And the voice of Yaakov represents tefillin, which stem from midnight, which is called judgments, which are mitigated by the morning, which are mitigated by Yaakov, which is mitigated by tefillin. Lakute Halakot 1, page 116. Okay, so anyway, that's what I was meaning to read. All right. So now we know that Yeshua is the Pesach lamb. We know a whole bunch of other stuff that we didn't really ask about. And now we know midnight when the firstborn Egyptians were killed was at a point in time that was considered to be timelessness. And this is when Hashem smited the firstborn. So they, again, they go back and forth. They, they make like A and B. Like, okay, A says da-da-da-da-da. B says da-da-da-da-da. And among many, it's just kind of like, well, time was stretched out. So it seemed like it was going really slow or time like froze. And then like Hashem did his thing where everybody was frozen. And obviously the answer is yes. But anyway, so that's a neat little uh, drop down from the teachings of the Lubavitcher Rebbe from MeaningfulLife.com. Um, the reason why I wanted to read this specifically from this article, because as I was reading it, I was losing my mind, but it completely sourced out like for real. 
You know, it's got some Zohar in there. It's got some Yalkut Reuveni. Reuveni. It's got some Rashi going on. And it's the Lubavitcher Rebbe. I mean, come on, man. You know, you know. So, freedom. Much. Okay, so we got that. We got that. Okay, I'm just clearing stuff off my tab system here. Okay, so now what I want to go to is the the very fact that um, Rebbe Nachman on uh, Shemot 1241 is talking about the children of Israel being called an army or a legion or like a, a superhero force, if you will. Yes, I had to do it. I had to work in the superheroes in there. Because you know what my Rebbe did today, y'all? My Rebbe on the first uh, podcast of this week. Because he's doing a series uh, called Preparing Your Heart for Pesach. And day one, day one, he drops down that on the night of Pesach, as you're entering into the Seder, you should be considering yourself to be like a superhero. You literally become a superhero for Shem. He was quoting Safat or Safas Emes. I'm so Safardi that I'm just like, I can't say these Ashkenazi pronunciations very well. But I know with that attitude, I, I won't be able to. Okay, so I'm changing my attitude. From Safas Emes, he was uh, talking about the fact that we are tikkuning what happened with Amalek and all sorts of stuff. We're hastening the redemption. And so. He just kind of synthesized it down by just saying, you know, basically, if you're partaking of a Seder, sitting down at the Seder and entering into that, you're like a superhero. And it's just kind of like, wow. So tell me why when Hashem was like, I need to need you to bring my people out of Egypt. He didn't call us people. He called us like a army, like a warfare force, a war force, legions, superheroes, Avengers. Yeah, that's right. Avengers. You know why we're called Avengers? Because we get to make tacoon for the world by being dust and ashes. That's our superpower. Our superpower is dust and ashes. Man, I'm telling you, can't nobody mess with dust and ashes. I'm sorry. You just can't. Like, we are super invulnerable as dust and ashes. We are humility. Uh, there was a neat little uh, drop that Rebbe Griffin brought down in the Aliyah day during Parsha um, to Ruma. And it was talking about the furnishings of the Mishkan. And specifically when it came to talking about the altar of the courtyard, the golden or the bronze altar. It was talking about the fact that there's dirt in the bottom of it. And the whole thing about how we have to become dust to the bite of the serpent bruising our heel because when we become dust well the serpent eats dust but the thing is is you can't bruise a heel that's dusty because it has no no substance no form and it's just like there's nothing left to presume to consume and when you think about the food of the serpent his food like when it's dust it's like he's not eating anything it's the equivalent of like we talked, or I, we didn't talk about it, but I've heard apparently with an apple, it's like negative calories, whatever that means. I don't know. But apparently when you eat it, 
It's like you eat it, but it doesn't like make you gain anything. So like you can eat apples apparently to, to the, to the monkeys come home and like, you won't be like over gorging on calories. So I don't know. That was really terrible example, but yeah. So it just has no substance. You're just eating it. It's cotton candy. Okay. Cotton candy. You eat cotton candy. You get all these detrimental effects that happen to you if you eat too much of it. But at the same time, you still going to be hungry. You're going to be ready to throw down on some serious food. So anyway, dust and ashes leaves no substance that could be uh, permeated as far as you can't mess with it. If you try to fight someone that's dust and ashes, just have fun with that because you won't be able to hit them. And that's the thing. So if we're dust and ashes as superheroes, you know, that's really cool because the the greatest enemy that we have is ourself. And so the only way the enemy really can get to us is through attacking us through ourself. That's the greatest way he can do it. He can do it through other forces. Absolutely. Yes. And only if Hashem allows. But ourself, we're our greatest enemy. And that's why we're called to humble ourselves, take up on us the yoke of Mashiach Yeshua. Because remember, Yeshua was invulnerable. And how did he prove that? By dying and being resurrected. By uh, allowing himself to be touched, you know, by those who are sick and diseased, by touching those who are sick and diseased. You know, namely a leper who should have defiled him or a woman with an issue of blood who should have defiled him, you know. Or person with Zyrot, not leper person. Uh, leprosy is a completely different thing. Zyrot, yes. Okay. So, army of uh, dust and ashes, here we are. When we get rid of our hummets uh, during this this time for Pesach and, and entering into our, uh, our superhero upgrade, which is eating unleavened bread, getting some serious holiness literally inside of us. Um, we're cleaning out that which makes us not invincible, that which makes us weak, basically. Hamets, you know, uh, not saying that that's sin or that's like whatever it is, kryptonite and spiritually, because Hamets is that which causes the sin to happen. You know, like it's so cool because we just came out of Parsha Medzora. And it's like, how did the person become a Metzora? Because they did Lashon Hara. And how do you do Lashon Hara? You're very, very puffed up and arrogant. And you have, you're full of homets. And so it's like, we get to study about being a Metzora. And then it's like, now we get to like, literally manifest not being a Metzora through cleaning out homets and going into Pesach. So... As an army, you know, um, we're getting hamets out of our physical house. Let's do it in our spiritual house because our spiritual house is called the Temple of Hashem. Because, you know, did you know that you're called the Temple of Hashem? Did you know you're called the Mishkan of Hashem? You know, Hashem's dwelling with us, in us, you know, real Kodesh much, and us eating these living words of Torah. So anyway, um, as dust and ashes, we're a Zeva Oat. We are a, a Zeva'am, an army. So uh, in 1241, uh, Shemot 1241, I'm going to give you the uh, Ivrit. Vayahi Miketz. 
And it was me, Kate. Wow, it was in the end of Sheloshim Shana, in the end of Sheloshim Shana Ve'arba Me'ot. Okay, so at the end of 430 years, the reason why I laughed at Miketz is because Miketz is the parasha where Yosef becomes king of the world. And if you think about when we left Egypt, when we currently, when we get ready to leave this current Egypt, we literally become kings of the world. I'm just saying, because we get to reign with Mashiach in glory because we suffered with him. You know, we get to be co-heirs, you know, kind of thing. Anyway, so not that we should be trying to be like, hey, I'm going to be a king. So <laughs> let's get out of exile. It's like, OK, hold up, pump your brakes, because we got to make sure that we are undergoing our suffering like we're supposed to. The leper or man, the person with Zarat has to go outside of camp and he has to think about life. OK, he has to think about himself. Why am I in this predicament? What's the problem? What do I need to fix? How can I make Teshuva? Okay, we got to do that. Okay, so if we don't do that, then, you know, just kind of slow down on the whole king thing. But anyway, just important to note, Miketz here is in our verse. So, at the end of 430 years, okay, so that one, it says, Vahi be'etzim hayom hazeh yatzu kol so that second part I just read, on that very day, all of God's legions left the land of Mizraim. Oh, I love it. Because why go back to Parsha Beshalach? It says when we left Mizraim, we, we left armed. Humashim. We left with many riches, treasures, uh, precious stones and all that. But also we were armed with spiritual weapons that had the name of Hashem on them. Come on. Tearing down strongholds, principalities, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, those kind of weapons. Because we are an army of dust and ashes. Come on. So now, commentary. On that very day is Be'etzim Hayom Hazeh. Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer. Pearl Kizai, uh, chapter 29, page 103. The covenant of Milah, which is literally the Brit Milah. The eighth trial of Abraham was when Abraham was 99 years old. Bereshit 17.1. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to him, walk before me and be perfect. Walk before me. Have your derek before me and be tamim. Okay, if we want to have a perfect walk before Hashem, we have to undergo circumcision. Okay, obviously of the heart for both of us, and if we're a guy, of our flesh. Okay, so anyway, insignificant or incidentally, uh, if you're circumcised of heart, you're circumcised of flesh because your heart being circumcised causes you to not fulfill to not want to fulfill the desires of the flesh. So you literally have cut off your flesh as far as causing it to be the thing that rules you. Anyway, that's a little Rashi on having a circumcised heart in uh, Sefer Devarim. Anyway, until now you were imperfect, circumcise your foreskin and you will become perfect. I love what Hashem considers perfection, by the way. 
If you just think about that, we would think perfect. Oh, I didn't miss a day of Shakarit or man, I gave to the poor every single day of my life. I make for every day. You know, I grew up in a Jewish household. Hashem is like, no, if you want to be perfect before me, circumcise yourself and walk before me. And how can you walk before Hashem if you're walking on a path that's not before Hashem? I.e., if you're walking on a different path than Torah, you're not walking before Hashem. You're walking over there from Hashem. Literally, walking from Hashem on so many levels. Okay, but um, walking before Hashem is walking in the path of Torah. Anyway, Mashiach says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And the Torah is called the Derek, <laughs> the path. Okay, so the foreskin is the greatest blemish the most defiled of all organs, as it says, O Yerushalayim, the holy city, for uncircumcised and defiled people will no longer enter you. Yeshiyahu 52, 1. By circumcising yourself, you walk before me in perfection. Abraham's Milah was on Yom Kippur. Rabban Gamliel, this is the Rabban who uh, was the Rebbe of Shaul from our... Uh, our canon of Brit Hadashah writings. Okay, so um, Abraham asked shame. Okay, this is a little Ashkenazi. Abraham asked shame Ben Noach, the son of Noah, Shem, the son of Noah, aka Malchizedek, to perform the Mila on him and on his son Yishmael, as it says. On that very day, Abraham and his son were circumcised. Bereshit 17.26 The clause on this very day, Be'etzim, implies at noon, when the heat of the sun is at its peak, which is Itzmo. Itzumo. Yeah. At its peak. The expression Be'etzim is also used in, con in connection with Yom Kippur. As it says, do not do any work, Be'etzim. On this very day, for it is the day of atonement, Vayikra 23:28. Drawing an analogy between the two passages in which the word Be'edzim is used, we conclude that Abraham underwent Milah on Yom Kippur. Every year on Yom Kippur, Hakadosh Baruchu views the blood of Abraham's Milah and forgives all our transgressions. As it says, for on this very for on this day he shall provide atonement for you to cleanse you from all your sin. Bereshit or Vayikra sixteen thirty. Abraham's blood was absorbed in the earth, in the place he underwent Milah, and the altar of the Beit Hamikdash was built there. Therefore, the Kohen shall pour out its remaining blood on the base of the altar. Vayikra four thirty four. And I say to you, in your blood, you shall live. And I say to you, in your blood, you shall live. Yehezekiel 16.6 Rabbi Hanina Bendosa says, On the third day after Milah, the pain is most acute. As it says, on the third day when the people were in agony. Bereshit 34.25 Therefore, the sages ruled, if the third day after Milah falls on Shabbat, it is permitted to wash the infant even with water that has been heated on Shabbat because all labors needed for the milah are permitted on Shabbat.
So yeah, so you know, the other thing that happened where the uh, Beit HaMikdash's altar was built is that's where the ashes of Isaac are found because Isaac was literally offered on that same spot. So you have the father offering himself on a spot where the son offered himself on a spot where now we bring all of the sacrifices on that spot. So again, all of the sacrifices derive merit back to the father and the son who are literally one. Because if you've seen Yitzhak, you've seen Abraham, that's a whole thing that drops out from Parashah Bayera. And, it's, and then the father and the son were literally bound together at that offering spot because they both of them shed their blood there. And the father sacrificed himself and the son sacrificed himself because both of them willingly gave themselves up. Footnote over here says, I say to you in the present tense, because God sees the blood of Abraham's Milah and grants life in his merit. So we have life in the merit of the Milah of Abraham. Okay, so removing the blemish. And again, the lamb didn't have any blemish. So when he offered his blood, what do you think about that? So while we're thinking... Um, Back over here to Rabbi Nachman, he says on that very day, God did not hesitate for a second. God did not hesitate for a second. Like Abraham didn't hesitate for a second to go circumcise himself. Yitzhak didn't wait for a second to go offer himself. Okay. So did not hesitate for a second time once the time of the redemption had arrived. Rashi. Okay. So if that's the deal, Hashem is not waiting for the redemption. Okay. Yes and no, obviously, because he set a time that no one knows the time of the day or the hour, but we can merit to hasten it. So why don't we do that part? So with that being the case, we should be Be'etzim Hayom Hazeh, which is so important because Be literally means in or Ba literally means with. And then Etzim is also bones or Adzum, which is essence. So with or in the essence and the bones, the strength, okay, of the day, which is Hayom Hazeh, as in today, if you hear my voice. And remember, uh, Masechet Sanhedrin 98, uh, Eliyahu told this Rebbe who went to talk to Mashiach, he says, when are you coming, Mashiach? And Mashiach says, today, like, Be'edzim Hayom Hazeh. Like in this very day, I will come. And he goes back to Eliyahu and he's like, hey, Mashiach lied to me, which is, woo, that's crazy. Mashiach lying. Whoa, that escalated quickly. Uh, Eliyahu goes, no, he didn't lie to you. He told you. He said today. And literally it's today if you hear my voice. Because you really realize when we're all at a point of constant renewal, that's when we will see Mashiach Bezrat Hashem because we're all continuously making teshuva after we made teshuva after we made teshuva after we made teshuva oh wait there's another moment after we made teshuva because uh rabbi griffin brought down this as well in parsha beshalach that one of the merits the children of israel had for the parting of the yom suf was that they continued to make teshuva after they made teshuva because uh the forces of the klipot or the sitra akra and the the persecuting uh, 
entity in the heavenlies, if you will, was saying that there is no reason the children of Israel should make it through the Yom Suf because they're just as much as idolaters as the Egyptians who are chasing them. So why are we making no distinction and all this kind of stuff and just flooding the whole place out? And Hashem says, no, they made Teshuva. There's the bones of Yosef. They put blood on the doorposts. They are uh, listening to my voice right now because I told them to go forward. And so because they listened to me, I'm not going to work on their behalf. And then there was like this thing where I made a promise to their forefathers that I would take their children out of Egypt and bring them into the land and stuff. And then the fact that they're headed towards the mountain where I'm going to give them the Torah means they're interested in receiving my Torah, which when they receive my Torah, they will be brought into eternal life. And then they will also be bound one with me, which means, yes, uh, there is a big distinction because there is so much Teshuvah here. It's absolutely ridiculous. So may we get to that point in our day, in our time, even this very Pesach. Just like Rocket told uh, the Winter Soldier in Avengers Infinity War, how much for that arm? And Winter Soldier goes, it's not for sale. And he walks off and Rocket goes, oh, I'm getting that arm. That's how we need to be about the third temple and the return of Mashiach and bringing in proselytes. Oh, we getting that temple. Oh, we getting our king. And oh, we getting them proselytes. And while we're at it, none of that is not going to make any difference if we're not making Teshuvah. So we're getting that Teshuvah, okay? Purkashim. Because you know why? Because we're superheroes who are dust and ashes. And the only way to remain dust and ashes is to break yourself down. So normally I grew up with this phrase that was like, yo, brace yourself, fool. But now I'm going to change it. Break yourself, dude. Or Jew. Okay? Break yourself, Jews. All right. Cool. There we go. That's a new phrase. Not really going to use it much, but it's a one shot. Anyway, uh, back to Rebbe Nachman. He says from Rashi on Bereshit 42.2, Yaakov told his sons, descend, which is the word redu, resh, dalit, vav, which rearranges actually to the word door, which is generation. So he told his sons to become a generation. Anyway, where did he tell his sons to become a generation? In Mitzrayim. We become a generation, we become a nation in exile because we began to build up that which will be redeemed. And when we're fully redeemed, we're established as that generation and that nation. Hashem. Anyway, so um, descend, redu, there to Mitzrayim, Bereshit 42.2. The numerical value of the word redu is 210 alluding to the 210 years which the jews would spend in mitzrayim now you notice this verse that i was commenting on uh shemot 1241 says at the end of 430 years now it says 210 years so what's the deal well you got to count from the akidah so i was going to bring out a whole bunch of other commentary but there's been so much commentary so far that i'm just gonna keep it simple <laughs> Uh, for now says the literal meaning so back to Nachman the literal meaning of the word redu alludes to the spiritual descent of the Yehudim the Jews in Egypt at the moment they reach the bottommost level of impurity they would be redeemed thus Moshe had to wait for the exact lowest moment for only then could he take the Jews out of Mitzrayim Lakute Alakot 3, page 
85A. All right, so uh, let's go back to freedom. Uh, I think this is my last point. I'm saying that with a big old question mark. Yes, it is. All right, Brukashem. Because we're ending on a sweet note. Because time is of the essence. Because <laughs> this whole uh, thing is about time. So this is from Rabbi Trugman. Talking about us getting the calendar. You know, because the whole calendar starts from Nisan. Because that's when Hashem gave us the calendar. And uh, literally, Shemot chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, with Starting with Rosh Hodesh. Rosh Hodesh Nisan to be exact. So we have a new year at Rosh Hashanah, which is in Tishrei, but we have a new month, which is a, a renewal, because the word for month, it means renewal, renew, because Chodesh is from Chadash, which means to renew, which is why every month we renew, just like the moon. And so there's nothing new under the sun, but there is something new under the moon. And the moon leaps over the sun and all sorts of stuff because of the fact that we renew ourselves. We go beyond creation because you notice most of the world is governed by the sun, right? So anyway, uh, as far as like everyone bases their calendar off suns and um, their holidays based off the sun and all sorts of stuff. But we Jews, we're a bunch of lunar people, not to be confused with lunar ticks. Because they think that they can change the calendar at will, which is loony. But it's good to be lunar, but not loony, and don't be a luna, lunar tick. Okay, anyway, don't be a luna tick. Can't change the calendar, it's set. So now, uh, Rabbi Trugman says... All right. Renewal is truly one of the secrets, the great secrets of Jewish survival and adaptation. For what other people has had to begin again so many times during its long and tortured history? No matter the circumstances, the Jewish people has persevered and renewed itself countless times in countries and communities around the globe, generation after generation. This essential power of perpetual renewal exists within every Jewish soul and is one of the secrets of Jewish creativity and ingenuity throughout the ages. The miraculous ingathering of the exiles and the rebuilding of the ancient homeland in Yisrael today clearly bears witness to this truth. Uh, Kohelet 1.9 implies nothing new under the sun. When life is lived under the weight of rote habits and fixed routines, then certainly one will perceive Nothing new under the sun. However, when one views life through a more elevated and dynamic perspective on time and is inspired through divine power of renewal, one can always find something new over the sun. Interestingly, the Zohar comments that although there may not be anything new under the sun, 
the moon is always changing and renewing itself, thus implying that there is always something new under the moon. So, uh, throughout human history, the Jewish people's incredible and disproportionate contribution in every avenue of human advancement, despite its history of great persecution, testifies to the fact that every Jewish soul is connected to the world over the sun and under the moon in the profoundest way. So, yes, there is nothing new under the sun, but there is something new under the moon, which is considered to be over the sun, which is why there's something new. Because there's nothing new under it, so there's something new over it. <laughs> a little pun there, a little galactic pun. Um, the last thing I want to say, uh, let's see if I can find it again. Here it is. The first mitzvah given to the, this is Rabbi Truman again. The first mitzvah given to the Jewish people as they were leaving Mitzrayim directly relates to their mastery over time. Think about this with the first shall be last. Okay. The first thing that got us out of the first exile is also the last thing that is the first thing that will get us out of this last exile, which is likened to the first exile. Mitzrayim. Okay, because Mitzrayim is the greatest of all the exiles because every exile is called Mitzrayim. So this current exile that we're in, the last one is just like the first one. It was it was a really great one. And it was just kind of like, wow, like you really got us tied down. But here's how we get out of it. Being masters of time. And I continue to finish this point. For this is the most significant distinction between a free person and a slave. A slave is not free to decide what to do with his or her time. Only a free person possesses this option. Integrating this understanding is the first step in the long road to true freedom. What's more? Knowing how to use and relate to time is one of the main differences between not only a free person and a slave, but also between a successful and an unsuccessful person, both materially and spiritually. So how are we going to be successful and being superheroes, i.e. Avengers that are going to bring in the final redemption? We're going to master time. That's just exactly what we're going to do. We're going to use the time stone. And, you know, we're just what we're going to do. So um, understanding that our mitzvot are the path that show us our freedom. And that's called walking before Hashem, which he considers perfection. And so we're going to leave Egypt and we're going to go home. And that's just the plan. So may we literally eat our way into freedom as we head into Pesach. And again, Haksameach Pesach to everyone. May your Seder be blessed. May your Hamid's cleaning be legit. And may we all make ourselves dust and ashes and today hear his voice. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah emet, vekaye olam natabetokheinu. Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha-Torah. Amen. Baruch abab Adonai.